0: Hello, Pioneering Today podcast listeners. So today I want to talk about growing your own food at home and specifically crops and foods that we grow at home that we don't purchase from the store. So we grow enough of these crops and these foods to get us through the entire year until the next year when the growing season starts again for whatever the specific item may be. And so I'm super excited to talk to this because about this with you guys today because I don't know about you guys, but I swear every time I go to the grocery store lately, it seems that the price of food just keeps going up and up. And of course, our wages and cost of living isn't rising um, along with that in equal proportion. So I feel like that I'm starting to spend more and more money when I go to the grocery store, but I'm getting less and less food. And even though I consider myself a fairly frugal shopper, and we do grow quite a bit of our stuff at home. You know, there's still things that I need to buy at the grocery store, and so this really got me thinking about what foods that we do grow that I don't ever have to purchase from the grocery store, and of course, my goal is to increase those foods um, so that we're less dependent upon the grocery store and keeps our bank account more in the black (laughs) and not in the red. And so I just thought it would be um as I w- and it was kind of surprised me because as I was going through the list I realized that there's some foods that we do quite well on that we almost grow enough to get us through the whole year but there is a handful and I have 7 items that we actually grow enough of that I never have to purchase from the store that I haven't purchased from the store in years in fact and so those are the ones that I wanted to share with you today so when and when I go grocery shopping we really do our best to purchase um, organic, grass-fed, pasture-raised, non-genetically modified foods. But I have to be honest; sometimes that can that can get to be expensive. Um, I've noticed that organic prices on things are starting to come a little bit more in line with the other things, and some organic things really aren't any more than their counter-non-organic part. Um, it just really depends on the items and knowing you know what the price of things cost. And I do believe that it's worth the expense when we can afford it. I don't believe it's worth it if you have to go into debt or if you don't have the money to purchase the item. Um, So there are some times that I don't always purchase organic items on every single thing. But I always purchase organic milk and butter. Um, If I can't always afford the raw version of these. Here in Washington State where we live, you can purchase raw milk. um, But I can't always afford it because... The raw milk um, at our local co-op for a gallon of raw milk is, oh boy, it's like $11, I think, for a gallon, and so I really can't afford to purchase it very often, if ever, <laughs> quite honestly, but I can purchase, um, they have we have a local Zuri that is grass-fed, pasteurized, organic, um, and it's that pasteurized, and so which is much better than ultra-pasteurized or even um, the regular milk that you would get at the store that's organic. And it comes in a glass bottle, which I'm just old-fashioned enough that I adore That's a glass bottle. And so we return the glass bottles to the store each time we go and get milk. So I really like that, too, because it's, um, you know, we're not throwing it away. They're recycling it and reusing the container that it's in. So that's the option that I try to do for our milk, Um and things, and then of course there's the the dirty dozen. So the produce of fruit and vegetables, the dozen dirty dozen, is the items that have the most pesticides on them when tested. And so I do try to purchase those things organically. But if it's you know really tight um, time of the month or time of the year or whatever, I try to always purchase organic milk and butter, and then I do the best that I can with the other items. So because our grocery prices are just outrageous. Um, I don't know about where you guys live but where we are that's just I've just noticed that it just everything just keeps rising and rising so it's our goal to try and raise and grow more and more of our own food even more every year our goal is to do more than we did the year before so from a healthy standpoint um because I know what we're growing at home is more healthy than conventional grown food without a doubt it makes us more self-sufficient more prepared and it's more frugal, too, for the most part. There is a cost to raising some of your own food at home. Um, and But there's always a learning curve, too. So if you're dealing with livestock and plants, there's always something new that can crop up. You know, the weather isn't consistent, and so or there can be new th- threats or pests that you haven't dealt with before, like with our chickens. This past year, the coyotes were just crazy. We normally have some coyotes because we live, you know, rurally and in the country. But this past year, they were just we had coyotes that were coming through our yard, I kid you not, in the middle of the day when we were in the garden picking. So it was just kind of crazy. So there's always things that we're gonna to have to learn and deal with that you maybe didn't the season before. But that's just part of growing your own food and part of the homesteading life is just learning learning new things and learning new skills. You know, I a home being a homesteader is you're always gonna be learning more and more. And I personally like that. I like to learn things, um and I don't ever like to stay stagnant, so to speak. So I'm always learning new things. Um So the items that we raise or grow that I never purchase from the store, this was kind of fun to go through this list and actually write it all down and document it. So the first thing for us is eggs. Um, Our laying hens provide enough eggs to keep us in stock all year round. A few months, usually at the tail end of summer, kind of in the fall into winter, that time of the year, it'll get a little lean. And usually our chickens, they are, let's see, my laying hens are going on three years old right now, actually. So we're going to be getting some new chicks to put in with them, but... They generally lay me an egg a day for the most part. And so when we go into the lean part of the year when they're molting, then they kind of go and they may lay one every two days or one every three days. So usually I have enough eggs in the in the fridge that we've had from when they were laying really well or I just learned to use a little bit less eggs in our everyday cooking and baking and that kind of a thing that we get through just fine and I don't have to purchase eggs from the store. So generally speaking, we, we're a family of four. Um my son is almost 10 so I don't have a teenage boy that I'm feeding yet and then my daughter is going to be six. So four laying hens keeps us in eggs and it's just about the right number. where We don't have too many but we're not in danger of running too short. So you know again that's going to depend upon your family, how many eggs you guys eat and that kind of a thing. But for us that's just about the perfect size. We've had up to eight and then I would get extra and could obviously if you want to be able to sell the eggs or share them with neighbors, family, friends or whatever then you're probably going to want more and we are going to pick up um, four more laying hens this year to add to ours because our chickens are going to are on three years will be on four and it coming into the fall and so they'll start to be slowing down on their egg production and so I want to make sure that I have some younger chicks to go in there into our flock and raise them up and two of course with predators I was talking about the coyotes we never know we let our chickens free range and so I'm not sure you know when I could lose one so I like to have a few extra but backyard chickens have been great, so we never have to purchase eggs. And if you are interested in raising your own backyard chickens, then I'm really excited. Today you're going to hear a lot about me talking about, of course, topic is growing our own food. And so you, if you are interested in growing your own food, you guys have got to get yourself signed up for the Homegrown Food Summit. So when you sign up for it, it's really awesome. It's a totally free summit, and it's starting April um Six, so this coming Monday, 2015, and it's going to be for seven days. And each day, there's going to be three to four videos, um, they'll be up for 24 hours. And then each day, they will rotate out, so there'll be new. There's over 35 videos and presentations all on growing your own food. And so, there's you know, vegetables, fruit, backyard chickens, um, aquaponics. I mean, it's just awesome there's going to be um, a course on fermenting and canning so all about if you're growing if you have a small just a little backyard or in container gardening I mean whatever your setup is wherever you live there's some kind of food that you can grow at home and so this just encompasses like everything (laughs) for people who want to grow their own food at home and it's completely free and so I am super excited about it. Uh, Marjorie Wildcraft, for any of you guys are online, um, has the Grow Your Own Groceries program, and she put together this summit, got together all these experts, and is doing the presentation. And so I am really excited. I've got myself already signed up, and I've already accessed the four free eBooks that you get when you sign up. And one of those free ebooks is about raising backyard chickens. And so, what's great is it talks about the different ways to raise the chickens, how to house them, and then if you live in the north or south, which breeds are best for your climate and where you live. And then also the difference um, we have meat chickens, of course, and then you have laying chickens, and then you're going to have dual purpose chickens, which can be used as. Laying hens, laying chickens, or meat chickens. So it really goes into that and what's the best way to actually raise chickens and what's healthiest for them, Um, how you can pretty much not have to really buy or purchase any chicken feed from the stores, and all of those different options. And it's totally free, you guys. So I am going to have the link up for you to go to that at melissaknorris.com. Click on the podcast button, and this is episode 52, which is 7 Foods to Grow at Home. And not only will there be that link in the show notes, and the shows are always transcribed if you're a new listener, you can go and read through it in case you miss anything, Um, or if you prefer reading, or to share it with somebody, you can totally do that. And I actually created, I'm really super excited, a free resource guide for you to grow your own food at home. So you can access that at mostknorris.com, podcast episode number 52. And so, what I have in there is all the tutorials that I have on growing your own food at home. So, and pruning, anything that has to grow your own food at home, you're going to find all of our articles and tutorials in there, which is um, over 12. And so, I'm really excited too because it's also going to go into raising livestock so a lot of times when we think about growing food at home we just think about a vegetable garden but there's so much more that you can grow at home and so obviously we have the eggs was the first one so I never purchased eggs and so the second thing that I never purchased from the store and even when I was a child growing up my family never purchased from the store is our Tar Heel green beans and they are pole beans so if you've been with me reading or listening to any of my stuff for any amount of time I'm sure you've heard me talk about our heirloom tar hill green beans because they are like I swear they're better than sliced bread <laughs> like we just think they are the best thing ever we love them so my family has been saving this strain of heirloom tar hill bean green beans um, as best as I can estimate for over 100 years I mean obviously much further back than that but they are the best. And so one of the things we that I love about them is if you're looking to grow green beans and you want to grow green beans, pole beans, yes, they do require require something to climb on. That's hence the word pole beans. So you can do a trellis, you can do a pole, you can do string, um, anything that you want. But they do need a support system, something for them to crawl up. But the great thing about them is they give and are much more prolific and you get a lot more of a harvest than the bush bean varieties so i really prefer pole beans i've grown both but the pole beans definitely you get way more crop way more harvest for the amount of space so if you're looking to grow your own food and and your goal is to not have to purchase it from the store you're going to be way happier and much better off with a variety of pole beans so i highly suggest that you do that and of course they have to be heirloom i mean you knew i was going to say that right (laughs) So just to kind of give you an idea, um, we have two 12-foot rows of our Tar Heel green pole beans. And that is enough beans for us to eat them fresh when they come on, which is usually, um, oh, about mid to end July. And then they usually go through about the end of August. So about six weeks um, they will be producing and we'll be getting beans. So it's enough for us to eat fresh and then for me to can and so I put up usually anywhere between 60 to 80 jars of the green beans a year. And that gets us through to the next season. And so I always like to have a little bit extra on hand just in case it's a late season or, you know, I, you know we have an expected guess or I just need, we're going to eat more beans for the year. I always like to err on the side of having a little bit too much than running short. So for just two 12-foot rows to have enough beans for your entire family for the year, I think is pretty incredible. So I highly recommend the green beans and that and a pole green beans specifically. And so I also have a free ebook on heirloom seeds and gardening. So if you're new to heirloom seeds and you're kind of not really sure what all that means and want more the um, info on that, I have a free e-copy of that for anybody who signs up for my newsletter list and that just is delivered to your inbox once a week. You get all the new articles and podcasts from the from the blog and from my website so you can snag that at melissaknorris.com so our third item that I have that we I never purchase from the store is blueberries Um, we have five blueberry bushes And I tell you what, in the summer months, we gobble them babies up. There is nothing better than a fresh, ripe blueberry. I just love blueberries. So we have blue fingers and lips are in total homesteader fashion come August time. My kids, they never never tell me they're hungry because they're outside eating all of the berries in the summertime, which is great. I totally don't mind. So with the blueberries, we have, um, like I said, five bushes, and they're about six years old now. So they're starting to reach into some maturity, but they'll still be producing more as they grow and become larger. So we've had them on our property going into our sixth year, and so we have five of them and so what I do with our berries is I make up our, my very favorite jam in the whole wide world. It's a low sugar, no pectin blueberry jam. And it uses lime in it. But there's no store-bought pectin. And there's a very low amount of sugar compared to regular recipes. Because I don't like recipes that have just as much sugar as they do berries. I think that is crazy. And so you will find none of my, none of my jam and jelly recipes um, are like that. They're all low sugar. And I try to use natural sources of pectin where I don't have to purchase the pectin from the store whenever possible. And so that's what this recipe is. So if you want to get that recipe, you can grab that in today's show notes at melissacanhorse.com, podcast button, episode number 52. Then I freeze um, a lot of them to make smoothies, pies, muffins, pancakes, or I, you know what? When it's really hot out, there is nothing better than just a frozen blueberry. My kid, like kids just reach in the freezer and grab a handful and eat them. It's kind of like a fruit pops go without the work so we love ours and then when I freeze my blueberries because of course I know what's on them and that's nothing at our house we don't spray with anything and they're not next to a roadway or anything like that so when I pick my blueberries I just pick them and put them in a big freezer bag and I just freeze them that way I don't bother with the laying them out and flash freezing them and then on a cookie sheet and they don't clump together. I don't have any problems. It's just super easy. I just pick them into the bag and throw them in the freezer, so that's my tip if you're looking to save time when you're putting up your blueberries, and blueberries are really easy to grow, actually. Um, They do require acidic soil, but other than that, they don't really require much work. You prune them once a year, mulch them once a year. They're super easy, and I love those kind of crops. I love things that I can plant once. I can deal with once throughout the year, and then they give me a harvest every single year without me replanting and you know really I don't like high maintenance gardening let me tell you (laughs) so all of my plants pretty much fall under that category and then the fourth thing that I never purchase from the store is raspberries and raspberries are just like blueberries they are so easy peasy to grow they're even easier than blueberries because they don't require quite as acidic soil as blueberries do so So our raspberries, we didn't even purchase from the store. Raspberries are really easy to transplant. You can transplant them when they're, preferably when they're in their dormancy. So not when they're blooming and not when they have their leaves all leafed out or when they're fruiting, but anytime in the fall through the winter and early spring. We transplanted ours. My parents had planted a patch of raspberries when I was little. And then when we got our own place, they hadn't maintained it. They had since moved. And so the raspberry there were no rows it, they were just gone all over the place and so we just trans dug some up and transplanted the row from a really over- have done great so we have summer bearing raspberries which is my favorite if you're looking for preserving um, they all they come on it in one season and so you'll get a larger yield at one time which is great if you're doing uh, jams and jellies and syrups and that kind of a thing so that you have a more enough amount enough quantity to make your recipes and we have just one row it's probably about 20 feet and I have about 20 clusters um, which is about five to eight canes tied together in each um, cluster so kind of like 20 plants and that produces uh, quite a bit of raspberries enough for me to do all of our jam and jelly that we do syrups and then of course they freeze them just like I do our blueberries you can dehydrate them as well but they are my favorite in we have a raspberry lemon cream cheese muffin that we make and I tell you what if you make those and just like take one bite then you'll be ready to go plant row raspberries and like I said again raspberries are really easy to grow I have a complete tutorial on how to grow and prune raspberries with videos and how to mulch them but again it's just just like the blueberries you plant them once they take my attention for like one day out of the year as far as that when we prune and mulch them And then you get years worth of fruit every year, which I think is amazing. I wish all things were quite that easy to grow, quite honestly. But those are really high on my list. And the great thing, too, is about blueberries is if you don't have a lot of property, blueberry, you don't need it. There's even You can get um, smaller, more compact varieties of blueberries that you can grow in a container. So you can totally have blueberries growing on your deck if that's all you have. So you can definitely grow some of your own food, even if you don't have a whole bunch of acreage. And then I do love our orchard. And orchards, when they reach maturity, can definitely provide you with enough fruit to last you all year and never have to purchase it from the store. But fruit trees take longer to produce a large enough crop to do that. So we have a small orchard going, but it's not enough to keep us in supply all year. So I can't really count that as one of my seven. But if you want to put fruit trees in and need some tips on how to plant and grow them, then uh, make sure that you grab the e-guide that's the bonus to this episode so you can grab that and that's all in there too and then so number five on my list is tomatoes now tomatoes are probably the most persnickety of the plants that I have that made my list but finally last year we grew enough that I had enough tomatoes to make all of our own salsa and all of my own tomato sauce and it's not quite close to summer harvest time yet um even though I do have all of my little baby seedlings pop in right now and they are underneath the grow light in our living room to go into our off-grid greenhouse but it'll be months before I get to harvest those but by judging by the jars I have left in the pantry I don't believe that I'm going to have to purchase any until my own our tomatoes come on again so I'm including them in the list and I love being able to say that I don't have to purchase it from the store. So that was our our last year. That was our goal was to have enough tomato products to not have to purchase them from the store. And I think we hit it. So I'm super excited about that. And so for us, volume wise, that was 18 of the Heirloom San Marzano Lungo 2 tomato plants. And those are a paste tomato, which is preferable if you are making tomato paste Uh, tomato sauce if you want to use them for that kind of thing. They don't have as much water content which is much preferable when you're trying to make sauces. So um, 18 of those plants was enough to provide us with to do all of our own salsa and tomato sauce and then I did do stewed tomatoes as well and then I froze some because I was at the end oh my gosh they were all coming on at once and I'm like I didn't have time. I could not keep up with canning them with everything else going on in the garden at the same time when they were coming on really heavy and so I just Threw them in the freezer. I put them in a really quick um, hot water bath, or excuse me, not a hot water bath. I put them in really quick to peel them. (laughs) And so I peeled them and then threw them whole in the freezer. And then when I had time and everything kind of settled down, then I pulled those out, thawed them out, and made my tomato sauce from those too. So if you don't have enough tomatoes at once to make a batch of sauce, that's totally something that you can do. If you don't quite have as many, if you don't have enough tomato plants producing ripe right tomatoes to make sauce, because it takes quite a bit of tomatoes to make tomato sauce, then you can freeze them until you have enough quantity to make your batches. So that's another tip there for you. And we had a really good um, harvest on our tomatoes this year because I I pruned them. I stayed really good on pruning them. When you prune your tomatoes, depending upon the time, if they're on the kind of tomato, if they're... Um, intermittent or determinant it will determine on if they're the ones that you prune or not but by pruning them you can get a larger harvest and so that is as well in the free downloadable um, e-resource guide that I have on growing your own food is a tutorial on how to do that so the sixth item that we never purchased from the store and I never did as a child either so this has been a life a lifelong thing for me and a life skill is beef I never ever 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 buy beef from the store which I love because oh my goodness you guys beef is expensive at the stores holy cow so we have a half a beef keeps our family stocked for a full year and we generally butcher our beef as two-year-olds and they usually generally depending upon their steer or cow uh, weigh about 700 pounds now that's hanging weight so hanging weight is when they butcher the animal and they gut it and then it's hanging so that's your hanging weight but that's not the actual full amount of meat that you're going to take home isn't from the hanging weight so this is hanging weight so it's 700 pounds so half of that um, is what we have in our freezer and so of course to keep you and your family and beef for a whole year is definitely going to depend on the size of your family and how much red meat that you guys eat or how much beef that you eat for the year but if you're interested in raising your own beef and our beef we raise it um, organically and we raise it grass-fed, totally pasture grass-fed. And you can check out pros and cons of raising grass-fed beef. And then also in my five tips to raising livestock article. And of course, those are in the free resource guide. I'm going to sound like a broken record by the time this is over here <laughs> hearing you. But all of that is in there as well for you. Because there are definitely ways, even if you can't raise your own beef, which obviously it's going to take acreage to raise your own beef. And I realize that not everybody can do that. But you probably can find a local farmer and you can purchase a half, a whole half, and most farmers will go down to a quarter of a beef, not all, but most of them will. So you can find someone local in your area that does that and you can purchase it from them and it is much, 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 much cheaper than the store. And you're going to support a local farmer, which is another thing that I really love, is I really do like to support local. I like to keep things around the people that I know and support people that I know my food I know the condition it's in if I'm buying it from a local farmer you most farmers are more than happy for you to come and check it out or they tell you exactly you know how they feed it so with our beef we only feed hay in the late fall to early early spring and so for the most part they're totally raised on grass which is great for us as far as a feed bill because I only have to purchase grass hay for the winter months and we purchase um, local grass hay and we actually purchase the haylage so if you've ever seen those big old bales that look like marshmallows that are wrapped in the white plastic that's haylage and the great thing about that is it's a fermented hay so what that means is it's baled wet and so then it, fer- it ferments but it has a higher protein um, count to it than regular dried grass hay and so that's much that's beneficial for your, your beef for your cows as well so that's um, what we feed so our animals aren't grain fed and I don't have to deal with that cost or the whole genetically modified thing in most grain and then our seventh crop actually that we don't ever purchase from this store is beets now I don't know about you guys but I hated beets as a kid Have you ever noticed how your taste buds mature I swear I didn't I was probably I wasn't a picky picky eater as a kid because it just frankly wasn't allowed at our house you ate what was put on the table or you hungry but I didn't like beets and I didn't like mustard. And I didn't like tomatoes. I don't know what was wrong with me as a kid because I love them now. But as an adult, beets are one of my absolute favorite foods. I love them pickled. Oh, I like them, oh boy, I'm getting hungry now. But if you roast them with garlic in the oven and then put a splash of balsamic vinegar on them and then take the soft crumbled goat's cheese and crumble it on top when it's still hot and then it kind of melts. Oh yeah, that's like my one of my absolute favorites. And then my other way that I really love beets, and you might think this is going to sound crazy until you try it, is beet chocolate cake. I kid you not, it is one of the best cakes I have ever had. And it's really funny because when I was making it, my kids and my husband were totally turning up their nose. They're like, you're putting beets in the cake. And they, you know, were basically insinuating that they didn't want to eat it. They weren't going to have any of it. And I'm like, that's just fine. I want to bake my cake. And when I took that baby out of the oven and I drizzled a little bit of melted chocolate on top of it, I'm not kidding you, I had to fight my husband for the last piece. And I made sure to tell him, oh, honey, you don't want that. It has beets in it. But even him and my kids both loved it. You couldn't taste the beets, I promise. No dirt flavor allowed. Um, But it's in my beet chocolate cake recipe, which is available at melissaknors.com, you guessed it, um, either in the recipes or in the show notes on podcast episode number 52. You'll find that in there. And in the resource guide that I know you have already went and grabbed and downloaded, right? So, uh, one of the reasons I love beets, and it totally made our list of seven foods you can grow at home and never ever buy from the grocery store again, is because you can almost grow them year long, especially if you're in a milder climate. Now, I realize if you're in Alaska or you're having all of that horrible snow, I'm so sorry, my East Coast peeps, um, you're gonna have a hard time growing it all year, obviously, right? But they're one of the first crops that go in the ground in the spring, and then they're one of the last crops that go in come fall, and you can pretty much grow them all summer. Now. if if you're in a really really hot climate or like for us here once this it hits kind of like in the 80s and the just like the really hottest part of our summer the seeds might not germinate once the soil temperature gets over 75 degrees which soil temperature is not the same as air temperature so and I have found that I have a much better time with my beets getting them to grow and germinate if you soak the seeds overnight in water and beets kind of like Not kind of. They like more alkaline soil. So I definitely have a tutorial. You guessed it. On how to grow your own beets. How to plant and grow them. And how to amend your soil. And the best tips for getting a good beet crop. So that is in our free resource guide. You guys. And so grab that. And you'll have all the access that you need. So those are my seven items that I never ever buy from the grocery store. And now you don't have to either. And so I know... A lot of you want to grow your own food, and some of you already are growing quite a bit of your own food, and I think that's fabulous. So I would love to see in the comments if you have any tips, or uh, mentions, or any any advice to share with everybody. Because really, I love that we're a community and that you guys share in the comments. Because I learned from your comments, and I know that the other readers do too. And I love to see when we all are in there giving advice and sharing back and forth. And I hope that you get yourself signed up so for the seven day online homegrown food summit I can't wait to hear which ones are your favorite videos and I'm going to be right in there watching them with you so I think it's going to be really fun and I can't wait to check all of them out so part of our part of our show that we normally do is what I'm reading for the week and this week I'm actually not reading anything except my own book because that sounds horrible doesn't it (laughs) It didn't sound very good but I just finished writing my book and got it turned into the publisher I was on deadline but I got it to my editor a whole 24 hours before the final final due date so I was really excited to get that turned in so I haven't been reading anything because I was had my nose to the grindstein and my fingers were grindstein oh my goodness see I wrote so much that my brain is mush you guys I swear <laughs> Um, But I got it turned in, and so I don't have a book of the week to share with you, because I haven't been reading. But I do have a verse of the week, and I wanted to share this one with you. It's from Luke chapter 1, and when I was reading it, it, I was just struck by how awesome and beautiful it is. You know, sometimes I think, especially if we've been a Christian for a really long time, I think sometimes we forget just to sit and reflect and just think about how amazing it is, what Jesus did for us. It is truly phenomenal. And so this, I feel that these set of verses just really encapsulated it, and just really, I just kind of sat and reread them a couple times this morning, and I've just been thinking about them throughout the day, and so I want to share them with you. So it's from Luke 1, and we're going to start in verse 77 to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our god by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace and that is just a beautiful promise and a beautiful verse and a beautiful reality you know that's the reality of what Jesus did for us and so as we go in Easter and coming into the Easter weekend and thinking of you know what his resurrection the crucifixion and the resurrection actually meant i just to shine on those living in darkness because we all in our sin have been in in darkness and in hard places and he guides our feet unto the path of peace and so i just want to leave that with you as we end this podcast episode I want to thank you so much for listening and a reminder because I know you didn't hear it enough throughout the show to go over and get your free resource guide and to get yourself signed up for the online summit before it starts on Monday I don't want you guys to miss any of it so thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the comments